Thank you, Lord. God bless your word this morning. Just continue to be with us. We're so thankful for your presence already, Lord God. We're thankful for what you've been doing in our lives and what you continue to do. Uh, Lord, keep speaking to us. Let our hearts be open. Even as we heard the word this morning, let our hearts be good soil that, that we've tilled over, that we've cultivated, that we've said, yes, Lord, we want your seed to come into us so that it can grow and produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I also wanted to thank you guys for welcoming Pastor Tony last week. I appreciate you making him feel so at home. Uh, He said he had a good time. I heard from a couple of you that uh, the word ministered to you. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I guess a few weeks ago or a month ago, I preached about next steps and what we, we always need to be on the lookout for what's next in our Christian life. And then God sends Pastor Tony who says, always be looking for what's next. You know, don't get satisfied camping out somewhere and just stopping along the way. So he's saying something to us, and he's using different voices to say it, but God's getting the message across. Uh, thank you, Lord. This morning I want to start a little bit of a new series. Uh, it's called One Size Fits All, and I don't have any props yet. My creative team may give me a prop, because Ashley said, that's a great sermon title. We ought to have like some clothes up there for you to wear and everything. But uh, I wanted to start it today, get a couple weeks in before the anniversary services, and then maybe pick it up afterwards. But if you've been around New Life Fellowship for any amount of time, hopefully one of the things you pick up on is that diversity is very important to us. We really appreciate the different people that God sends into our midst, whether it's young, old, black, white, different colors, different ethnic groups, different social and economic standing, whether we're rich or poor, there is a home for people here. The, the, the diversity that God is sowing into our body, I really believe, gives a great picture to the world of what the body of Christ is truly like. When we can come together in unity, it shows something that's attractive to the world because they're not getting that anywhere else. The, the world puts temporary band-aids and they force people to try to do things. They say, hey, you're going to get along. But the only thing that really will unite us is Jesus. He, he is the one that causes all of our differences he, to go away. He causes walls to come down. He causes our hearts to truly be open to one another. There is a unifying power in Christ that you don't find anywhere else in the world. Is that amen? Is that true or not? Because we've seen it. We've seen the government try to do it. What, what happens? Think about today's culture, especially as I think that's part of why politics irritate people so much, because it really continues to stress the divides. Think about all the things that divide us. We have a political season coming up, so we're going to start hearing all kinds of stuff. People are going to play the race card. You know, have you ever heard that one? It's like, oh, well, we try to get along, but when I want to win an election or when I want to do something, I remind everybody that this country is still racist and we've got all these problems. Uh, or the, the class warfare card is going to come up. Like, hey, the, the poor people are being oppressed. You know, we need to get more money from the rich people and get equality here. The world continues to remind us of all the things that make us different. People still talk about, come on, the, the war on women. How many of you have ever heard that one in a political season? You know, the, the world tries to remind us and get our eyes focused on what makes us different and that's that's the way of the world that's what the world really emphasizes here's your differences here's why you'll never be able to get along here's why things aren't the same jesus is the only one that unites different groups of people and gives us all value it doesn't come from the government it doesn't come from a politician doesn't come from somebody out in the street corner it comes from jesus he gives us value and he unites us together. Uh, so one of the verses I want to use to kind of launch off for this series, Galatians chapter three and verse 28. I love the way that this verse puts it. It says, we no longer see each other in our former state. I'll, can I just stop right there? How many of you know you had a former state Be, before you met Jesus? You were one way. And after you met Jesus, you're new. 
you, you had a former state and you are a new creation now. And it says, we no longer see each other in our former state. And he lists some of the things. He says, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we are all one through our union with Jesus Christ with no distinction between us. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, when you were born, where you moved to Pittsburgh from. There is no distinction between us in Christ. He's made us all one. And uh, part of the thing that happens, the world encourages us to continue to see each other along those lines. See us how we're divided. See the things, you know, the, the world. Think about the things that the world says. Only use your natural eyes. I think that's why the Bible time after time has to keep saying, keep your eyes fixed on what's unseen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your mind on heavenly things because that's how we are to interact with each other. We are to see ourselves according to the new us, not the former things that we were. And so a couple things that are listed in that verse, I I think two, two groups try to get us to see each other as our former selves, the world and religion. And I don't mean true relationship with Jesus and religion that's that's pure and faultless that takes care of widows and orphans. I mean religion like the system of rules and works that people get caught up in. The world and religion try to get us to see according to our former selves. Uh, One of the things that Paul listed, he, he gave several things that were ways that people were divided at his time. When he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, these are some ways that they divided people. He says Jew and non Jew. Or some of you in your, in your Bible will say Jew and Gentile. Gentile is just the fancy word that means not a Jew. So how many of you know you were all Gentiles at one point? You know, we, we were not Jews, and through Jesus, he actually made us, he grafted us in to make us Jews. Uh, but at that time, religion was very concerned about dividing people along ethnic lines. Uh, for the Jewish people, if you wanted to worship the one true God, they were very, you must follow these religious patterns to become a Jew if you want to know God. That, that was what religion did. And think about it today, even the world continues to stress your ethnicity as being one of the most important things in your life. Think, come on, have you ever met somebody? I am a fill-in-the-blank American. I'm an African-American. I'm an Italian-American. The, the world continues to say, hey, put preeminence on your heritage and where you're from and get people to appreciate you from that. And, and Paul's telling the Galatian church, those are just lines that the world tries to draw. But when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see the color of your skin. He doesn't see what country your parents were from or your grandparents. He sees you for who you are and you have value because you're in him. The the next thing that Paul lists there is he says rich or poor. Uh, Many translations say slave or free. I guess we could translate it as whether you're working or unemployed. Uh, That would be one of the ways that the world tries to divide us. Do you have money or don't you have money? Think about how important in a, in a religious system, uh, during, during the day when the scripture was written, they really cared about how much you had to give because wealth was a sign to them that you were being a good Jew, that you were keeping the covenant. God's blessing you with money because you've been a good Jew. And, and think about the things that happen. Jesus takes his disciples to say, hey, we're going to watch how much people give. You know, I'm, I'm going to teach you a little lesson here by watching how much people give. And, and time after time, you had these people come up with these big bags of money or their offerings and standing in front of everybody saying, look at how godly I am. I'm able to put all this in. I'm able to give this. And then the one little widow came with her one penny and put it in. Jesus says, hey, she's given more because she gave all she had. Religion looks at your wealth and says, hey, you must be good because you're rich and you can give. But Jesus looks in the heart. In fact, uh, I think in James chapter 2, James spends a whole part of the chapter there 
talking to the church. So these are people that should know better, but, but this religious spirit was creeping back in. James talks to them about, hey, when you guys have your service together, you're taking the guy who's the most dressed up. And you're bringing them up front and you're sitting them in the place of honor, you know, to let everybody know, hey, look how influential our church is. We've got all these rich, successful, wealthy people. And James tells them that's not right. You know, if, if you can't treat the beggar that comes in his rags the same way that you treat the person that comes in a suit and tie, you've missed the point of Jesus. So, so Paul's talking about these dividing lines, Jew and non-Jew, rich and poor. And he says male and female. You know, we, we're going to talk about this one a little more today, but since the fall in the garden, how many of you know the relationship between men and women has been messed up? There, there is something about male and female that, that that's another line that the world tries to draw and say, hey, you're, you're not worth as much because you're a woman or you're worth more because you're a man. Whatever it may be, uh, think about this religion, especially in the time when Paul wrote this letter. In Jesus' time, religion really valued men. It, the Jewish system was very patriarchal. Uh, that's a big word that just means the men were the most important. Uh, so, so you had the men having all this value and the women treated as real second-class citizens in this religious system. And Jewish culture especially, you know, if you take the, the religious aspect out of it for a minute, Jewish culture very much devalued women at that point in time. It, it had gotten so bad when Jesus came that they needed to see something different. And you can see how the, the impact of that has carried over into the world. You know, people talk about the war on women, as I already mentioned. They, they'll give you stats about, maybe you've ever seen a stat about how many dollars per hour a woman makes for the same job as a man. I mean, I mean all these things that the world emphasizes, you're worthless or you're different. And in Jesus, there's no male or female. He gives us all value equally. He looks at us, Jesus looks at us and says, I died for you. And it doesn't matter what, what anatomy you have, whether you're male or female, he looks at you and he sees value and he sees worth. Something that was so worth that he even died for you. That he was willing to come and endure the cross. And so if you look at those verses, it says we're now all one because of Christ. Uh, the, the surrounding verses in Galatians there actually talks about us being clothed with Christ. That's what gives us all the same value. Christ is one size fits all. Whether you're Jew or, or Gentile, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a man or a woman, he fits perfectly. He covers us. He, he comes, we sink down into Christ, and we lose, we lose our identity to the, to the sense that the world would put it on us. You, you don't stop being Heather because you're in Christ now, okay? Does that make sense to everybody? You don't lose who you are, but you lose those dividing lines that the world would look at to assign value to you. The world would look at you and say, well, you went to school for this, so you have this earning potential, or you, you're this smart, or you're this dumb, I don't know, whatever the world would say to you. That's the, the lines that the world puts value on you, but Jesus looks at you and says, oh, you've put on Christ. Whether, whether you're young or old, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. You've, you've wrapped yourself in me, and that's how I see you, and that's how I give you value now. And that's how Scripture commands us to interact with each other. As, as a Christian, we are obligated not to look at each other according to the, the natural lines that the world draws. We, we have to look at each other man, and say, I, I see value in you because I see Jesus in you. However we express that to one another, we need to start doing it. We need to see each other according to the new self that we have. Uh, in fact, I think that's part of what, where the rub comes in, is because even though all things are new and we've all put on Christ, we do all still look the same on the outside as we did before we got saved, right? 
I, I have a little less hair than when I got saved. But other than that, I, I'm still Chris Mays. You know, I, I didn't change my name, didn't change who my parents were, my heritage, didn't change that I went to college, that I had this job or that job. I'm still the same person on the outside, even though Jesus sees me wearing himself. So part of the rub for us is how do we get along and value each other, knowing that we're all in Christ, but man, you still look like the same old you that irritated me last week. Come on, is that, is that real or not? We, we still are tempted to see each other through these natural eyes, even though Jesus said, hey, start valuing each other because of what I've done in you. And that's part of what we have to learn how to walk out, to value the diversity that Jesus has put in the church, because that's what makes it attractive to the world. There, there is a unity that's found here that's not found anywhere else. And, and I think people in the world look at it and say, wow, I want that. You know, I, I can't get along with my husband, my wife, my kids, my aunt, my uncle. I can't get along with my boss. They've got strife everywhere else in their life. They've got people telling them why they're not amounting to anything, why they don't have value. They're longing for a place that says you have value. You have a home. You have a place where you can come. And we are going to reckon you by who Christ is in you. It's, it's something that draws people. It's, it's attractive to the world. And when we recognize Christ in each other, it promotes unity in the church. So I want to start looking at today at a couple of the different groups that Paul wrote about in the church there. And the one that I want to focus on today is, is the difference between men and women and the value that we both have. We, we need each other in this place. I, I can't say I want a church that's just full of men can't say I want a church that's just full of women. There's something about us being together that pr- promotes unity and shows that picture to the world. So starting today, looking at men and women, I believe God's plan has always been for men and women to function together in his family. This, this, this is his plan from the very beginning. A couple verses that are up on the screen for you, all the way back in Genesis, starting in chapter 1, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter 5, it says this again. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. Isn't that fascinating that God says in the beginning he created man. And then it goes on and says he made male and female. And that's what made up mankind. That's what made man a whole complete unit was him making them male and female. God wanted to put his image in the world, and his image couldn't just be contained in men. So what God says is to show me to the whole world, if you want to see an accurate picture of who I am, the image that I placed in the world, you need men and women together. That's why I created them. That's my intention for them to show me to the world. And you can't do it by yourself. It's out of balance. Mankind is only represented fully when you have men and women together. And God is only represented fully when men or women are working together in unity, showing him to the world. So I think you can see you don't get the full picture, the full benefit if you just have one. I think about this uh, even in families. Come on. And I know I'm not. I think about the, the struggle that we have with single parents. You got single moms, single dads, whoever they may be, and, and we need to be helping those people. There's there's something no no matter their best valiant effort, you know, and if you've been in this room and you've been a single parent for any amount of time, you know the struggle, right? And despite your best valiant effort, the the work you put in, the the way that you're always there for the kids, you would die for your kids. Even in spite of all that, the kids are still missing something if they don't have both parents in the home. 
Because when you are raising children, there is something that only a father can impart. That's, that's just the way it is. There, there's, some, there's an inherent need in a child's heart that, man, I need a dad to speak into my life and I need a mom. And, and I think that's part of the job of the church is to come alongside of some of those people to say, man, I see the struggle you're going through. I see how you're trying to raise those kids on your own. Get involved. Come alongside. Come integrate into this family because then you will get some of what's been lacking. You, you will, your kids will know a love. You'll know a support that you don't have on your own. Because here, here's what the world... This is a little bit of a tangent, but here's what the world does in that situation. Oh, you're, you're a single mom? Just try to find someone new. And you end up, you go through this string of relationships that aren't really good fathers for your children. They, they don't have your best in mind. They don't have the interests of the kids in mind. And you end up with a bunch of failed relationships. And the world keeps saying, well, just keep trying. You'll find somebody eventually. You'll find a good man. And so we've, we've ingrained into these single parents, hey, just keep going on the treadmill. Keep going around and around the mountain to try to find somebody that fits in your situation. And what God is saying is, hey, I've already got a family made for you. I've got a place where you can come and join in and you can find a home. You can find a place where your kids are going to get that imparted to them. So we don't get the full picture if we don't have men and women functioning together. And uh, there, there's an interesting word in Genesis there. Eve, how many of you remember what Eve was created to do for Adam? She was created to be a helper. And the, one of the words in some of the translations that you'll actually see, it says she was made to be a help meet. How many of you have ever heard that word before? Not, not meat like a hamburger on a bun, but like meat, like we're meeting together. She was created to be a help meet for Adam. That's kind of an old-timey word that you don't hear a lot anymore. You don't hear you know, people coming to marriage counseling. You know, it never entered my mind to say, hey, Zach and Christina, we're going to sit down and talk about how you can be a good help meet. You know, that's, that's just not how we talk anymore. But that is one of the words that's in the Scripture. It says Eve was created to be a help meet. And that phrase, help meet, it literally means this, a counterpart of equal stature who can stand face to face. So when it says Eve was created to be, I'm going to, can I use you for an example? How handy. How handy that I have my help meet here. So, so Eve was not, here, why don't you get down on all fours there for a minute. For real? Yeah. So when it says, when it says Eve was created to be a helper, that's not the picture it means. It doesn't mean like, Hey, I've got my own agenda. You've got to be submitted to me. You've got to do whatever I say. You know, help, help me stand up because I'm tired. Dylan's getting out his phone taking pictures now. How many of you know that's not the intention that God had when he said, I'm making you a helper? It, it was not, hey, Adam, you can, you can have a doormat now to wipe your feet on. You can have a chair. What, what, God, said, what God said when he said to help me was somebody that's going to stand here like this. We are face to face. We are in this together. We can make plans together. And, and you know what? It even gives the connotation of you can push back. When, when I'm trying to walk over you, a help me actually can stand. There, there is, if you go study this out in the Hebrew, part of it is help me is somebody that even stands in opposition. Like we are face to face pushing each oh, other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on. You, you probably experienced some of this, but it, it gives this impression of you. We are in this together. This, this is a partnership. We are face-to-face looking at each other, having this relationship one with another. It's the same relationship that we have with Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? That, that you weren't created 
to be in Christ to be a footstool. Right. In fact, Scripture says the enemies are the ones <laughs> that get right. to be the footstool, right. right? What you were created for was this face-to-face relationship. We're, we're talking to each other. We, are, we yeah. have value. You can't interact with somebody if they're on the floor and you're using them for a doormat. Right. How do you hear their opinion? How do you interact with them? But when you have a help meet, you're standing face-to-face with one another. Thanks, baby. They're, they're clapping for you putting up with that. So God made a help meet for Adam, somebody that could subdue the earth with him, somebody that could tend the garden, somebody that could be with Adam to do the job that God had called him to do, not to just be, hey, I made a mess, Eve, go clean that up later. Help me. I am in this together. God, God didn't make Eve from different dust. Okay, because then I think Adam could have justified walking over. Hey, I made Adam out of this really good clay over here, but uh, that leftover dust, I, I grabbed some of that for Eve. He took part out of Adam and said, I'm, I'm making her from you because you are the same. You are going to represent me to the world because you are man and woman together. And here's a here's a fascinating verse thinking about help meet. Psalm 33, 20 says this. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help. And our shield. Anybody want to guess what word is the word help there? Help me. Same word that was used to describe Eve's relationship with Adam. It says God is our help. He is the one that we are in relationship with face to face that we can see him and be together. So the best relationship, the one that was modeled in the garden, was man and woman of equal stature together. We, we are doing this together. We are ruling and reigning. But then how many of you know sin entered the picture? Man, doesn't sin always have a way of messing up relationships? Sin came into the picture. And this is, this is part of the curse that was pronounced. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Dang! Sin stinks. That's part of the curse. All that, the stuff that you felt when the baby was coming out, that's because of sin and the curse. The pain and childbearing that came. And he says this, with pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The curse that came because of sin is what messed up this relationship with man and woman. It's what put that dividing line there that that devalued them. And when he says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, uh, a good translation of that section or a paraphrase of it could be this. You'll both want to run things, but your husband will call the shots. That's what happened because of the church, the curse. And when he says your desire will be for your husband, that actually implies, if you go study this out, it implies you desire control. Your desire for your husband, you'll want to be in charge, but your husband will rule over you. That was, that was actually part of the curse that said, hey, you've got a little bit of a lower place now that you're going to want to be in charge, but he's going to get to tell you what to do. That curse was pretty messed up, wasn't it? Man, thank God for Jesus coming to redeem us from the curse. So the division started there and it went downhill from there. So, so you, you originally had Adam and Eve face to face in the garden. We're doing this together. God gave us a commission. And all of a sudden there's this break in our relationship because of sin and the curse. And it just kept going downhill from there. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, though, uh, you still saw God's heart and the value that he placed on women. All throughout the Old Testament, you see this. I have a couple examples on the screen there. Uh, one of them that was kind of fascinating in Genesis chapter seven and eight. You can go back and read this story later. Later, when Noah entered the ark, 
It says Noah and his sons entered the ark and then his wife and the daughter-in-laws came after him. So like that's how far the, the relationship had gone downhill. It was like, here's the men. We get to go into the ark first and then the women get to come behind us. And if you read that story carefully, when God told them how to come out of the ark in chapter 8, so this is after the flood's all done, he, he tells Noah, Noah, you and your wife come out of the ark first and then your sons and their wives together. So even in this Old Testament, even though the relationship's going downhill, God's still revealing his heart. Man, your, your wife is not the second-class citizen. You, you don't have her come behind you carrying the luggage when you come out of the ark. No, you and your wife go out together. I want you to model that. And, and an interesting thing, I don't know how it affected everything after that, but Noah didn't listen. They, they, if you read the story, they came out of the ark the same way they entered in. It says Noah left with his sons and then the wife and the daughter-in-laws. So that's one story in Noah. Uh, if you think about Abraham and Sarah, how many of you ever read that story? And it's like, what was going through Sarah's mind? Like, Abraham, we need to have a kid. Here's Hagar, my servant. You know, make it happen. Come on, I know Pam. That would never enter her mind in a thousand million years to say this is a good plan for us to come up with having a kid and an heir. But somehow Sarah does this. So you've got Abraham and Sarah and God says, no, that's not what I said. That's not the promise I made. I said, Abraham and Sarah, a son will come from your bodies. God was saying in that instance, Sarah's not a second-class citizen. She's not the leftovers. She was an equal part in this promise that I made to Abraham to say, hey, this is how the son is going to come between the two of you. So much so that when Abraham tried to produce it on his own, even though Sarah was in on the plan, God rejected it. said, Ishmael's not going to be the one. It's going to come from you. So here's, here's God's heart. We keep seeing it over and over. You would think we'd get the picture. Uh, a couple times in Scripture, you see uh, Miriam, Aaron's sister, when they came out of Egypt, it actually says that Miriam was a prophetess, that, that she had this prophetic unction. She had this gift. If you remember, when they crossed over the Red Sea, she had this prophetic song that she led the people in, and they danced. So she was a prophet of the Lord. Uh, a couple other women are listed as that. Deborah, if you remember, she led Israel as a judge, and it says she was also a prophetess. God had poured out his spirit. He was using her because he places value on people who are obedient, whether they're men or women. He wants both of us to be involved because that represents him to the world. Uh, there's another woman, very obscure woman in Second Kings chapter 22. Her name was Huldah, and she was a prophetess that they actually sent a messenger to to say, hey, tell us what God says, what's going to happen in this situation. Uh, if you remember the story of Esther. She was a queen that God raised up that delivered his people. He's putting value on women. We see glimpses of it all throughout history. It's not just the men, but it's man and woman together that he's interested in serving him because it gives that picture to the world. Think about the last thing I have up there is Exodus 20, the, the Ten Commandments. Did it just say, honor your dad and things will go well? You know, I'm, I'm so interested in the men having value. Honor your dad and it will go. What's it say? Honor your father and your mother. God was very interested in saying, hey, it's together. They, they deserve honor together. That's how I'm going to bless you. That's what you're going to see. So God wanted to use men and women, and you see his heart in it throughout the Old Testament. Uh, but instead of looking at what God was doing, saying, okay, we get the picture, God, the relationship continued to go downhill. 
the, the gap between the men and women continued to divide. It got so bad that when Jesus came, there was, if you read in some of the historical books, there was actually a prayer that the Jews said when Jesus arrived on the scene around that time, there was a prayer that the Jews said that I thank you, Lord, that I am not a woman. Come on. How messed up is that? How much, how much value is that putting on our help meet? To stand up and, and recite this prayer that says, Lord God, I thank you. You know, I, I just picture the guy saying this, just the one that's recorded in scripture, like the guy standing there saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like, you know, these other pagans. I could just picture something. Lord, we thank you that we are not women. That's just messed up, isn't it? Like, like I've, I've kind of said that to God before, but just because I don't like the pain of having babies and I think about all these things women are really strong and I don't want to do that so like from that standpoint but in their culture they had gotten to the point where it was like God we're thanking you that that you didn't make us less like these women and so I think part of what Jesus came to redeem and came to remind people of is hey the heart of God for women that you saw all throughout the Old Testament hasn't changed and, and now that I'm on the scene, I'm going to remind you of it. Just a couple quick ones before we end today. Here are some things that happened in the New Testament when Jesus came. I believe he reaffirmed the value of women in the kingdom of God. Uh, several times in the gospel, uh, it actually mentions that women traveled with Jesus and it, they actually supported him financially. So those ladies that are listed first up there, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and it actually says in the verse, many others, talking about the women, says they traveled with Jesus and they supported him out of their own means. So here you have Jesus elevating these women to say, hey, you can travel with us, you can help support us, you can do these things with us. Uh, The first person to evangelize an entire city, who was it? The woman at the well. First recorded evangelist that wins a whole city, that gets all the men to come out to see Jesus, to get saved, is a woman. In fact, it was a woman that had five husbands and was living with another guy. And Jesus picks her up out of that mess that she's in and gives her such value that she runs back. She's so transformed because of knowing the value that Jesus places on her life that she runs back to the city and they all get saved. Isn't that amazing? Who who was the first... uh, who were the first people, I guess, to share the news of the resurrection? It was the women. Come on, so, so much so. What happened? The first, the first story, I think it's in the account in the book of Luke. It says the women went to the tomb. It was empty. They see the angels, all these things. And they run back to tell the men. And what do the men say? You must be confused. You don't know. What you're, that's like gibberish that you're talking. I guess we'll go check this out ourselves. So you got the first evangelist to win a city, this woman at the well, the first people to report the account of the resurrection. Jesus was placing a pretty high value on women, I think. He was reaffirming, hey, it's not just the men, but together we make this thing happen. A couple other thoughts there. Uh, Matthew 26, the woman with the alabaster jar. She poured it out on his head and dried him with her, with her hair. It says... Uh, Throughout the world, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 26. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Man, how many of you would like to have, like, I did something for Jesus that was so important that he said, every time the gospel is preached, this story is going to get remembered of, of what you did for me. That's an amazing thing to say, hey, as a woman, you get that place of honor. Every time the gospel goes out, what you just did is going to be remembered. 
Uh, a couple other ones. Uh, the women were the first reporters of the resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, if you read through that story, there were women praying in the upper room with the 120, with the apostles. So it wasn't just like, hey, we're the apostles, we're the men, this is a men's prayer meeting. It was the men and women together that were praying, Lord, we're waiting for what you promised. You know, pour out your spirit on us. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, this is what Peter said of what was happening. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and what? Your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. He's, he's saying... Women are so important that it's when this Holy Spirit gets poured out, it's not just for the men. Men and women together are going to receive this gift and you're going to flow in the Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, it, it specifically makes a point of saying men and women were added to the church as it continued to grow. So much so that in Acts chapter 8, remember when Saul went nuts and started persecuting the church, dragging people off to prison? In Acts chapter 8, it actually makes a point of saying Saul went from town to town and dragged away the men and the women who believed to put them into prison. I think those women had some guts. You know, we kind of think of the men like, hey, you know, we're taking a stand. We're willing to die for Jesus and all this. The, the women were right there alongside of them to the point when Saul came and said, hey, I'm taking away everybody that, that confesses Jesus. I'm going to put you in prison. We're probably going to end up killing you, whatever it is. The women didn't back down either. I'm, I'm willing to die for this too because we're in it together. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, there are two women mentioned, Euodia and Sintish. Man, those are some names. Anybody having a kid soon? Sintish? Is it a girl? It's a girl. Le- Leanna could name her daughter Sintish. So there's, if that happens, I want credit. You know, we, right here in the service, I gave you the name. Uh, so Yodia and Sintish, and this is what uh, Paul says about them. He says, uh, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. That's what he says in the verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, in Romans 16, okay, if you didn't like Sintish, I got a couple others for you, all right? Uh, Romans 16:12 says, greet Tryphia and Tryphosa. I think we, we might have some kids named that that come on Wednesdays, right? Trifnia and Trifosa, those women who work hard in the Lord, greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. So here's Paul writing this letter and he's getting to the closing remarks. Hey, here's the people I want you to greet. Here's who are friends to me. Here's, here's who has labored alongside of me. And he goes out of his way to say, here are some women. These are ladies that have done above and beyond for the cause of Christ. And then the, the last one I had on the screen that I wanted to tell you this morning, Romans chapter 16, verse 7, uh, there's a lady listed named Junius, who Paul actually describes her as being outstanding among the apostles. That, that she had the office of apostle, and Paul said she has gone above and beyond. So even we see God's heart all throughout the Old Testament. He values men and women together. Don't, don't make somebody a second-class citizen. Don't look at that dividing line. Jesus comes and reaffirms it. Man, the church I'm starting, it's men and women together. It's not just a good old boys club, because we got enough of those, right? It's, it's not something where you're second class. We are in it together. You have value because God has deposited His Spirit in you. Okay, He didn't look at you and say, hey, you get the female version of Holy Spirit. 
You know, it's, he's a little less powerful, and maybe you, you cry more often, you can intercede some, but the men, I'm going to give them the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do that. He said, I put my spirit, I poured out my spirit on all flesh, your men and your women. So, if God's heart in the Old Testament was for women to have value, and Jesus and the apostles modeled the same thing, how did we get to a place in a lot of corners of the church where women get treated like second class citizens? Have you ever encountered one of those churches or known people like, oh, women can't do this in the church. You know, they, they can't lead people. They can't do this and that. In fact, how many of you have ever heard those verses quoted of women should be silent in the church? Come on, that's what Paul wrote. You know, woman, you know, like, like we take that verse and it's like, hey, you, you want to speak in church? Woman, you know, I can't, I can't get away with that at home, but because I got scripture to back me up in church, I can say, you know, woman, be quiet. How do we get to that place? If we see God's heart said one thing, how do we get to the other place? Well, that's next week. <laughs> to be continued. So next week, we're going to pick up and we're going to look at those verses in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2 that talk about, hey, women should be silent in the church. And the, and the things, how do we deal and reconcile those verses with what we see God's heart obviously was for men and women together? All right, let's go ahead and stand. We, we worshiped, we greeted. We heard engagement announcements, so uh, we're, I appreciate you letting me be a little bit longer on time this morning. Uh, what I want to do, though, is I'm going to pray for us and just pray for God to help us to value one another. Whether, whether we're men or women, black or white, whatever it is, God, help us to see each other the same way that you see us, the value that you put in us because of Christ being the one size that fits us all. Thank you, Lord. Hello. I was thinking about how, you know, sometimes we get biased from our experience or our history or our family or whatever that heritage is, you know, and just the place where I feel like even as we're praying about God just breaking those dividing walls, that there are things that God really wants to break in us that could really just kind of be ingrained in us from our upbringing or our family or whatever it is. And, you know, for some of us, that's more applicable than others. And, you know, it's just thinking of whatever your, whatever your pattern, whatever your path from where you began, you know, it may be a whole different world than the person sitting right beside you. And there may somehow have been something inside of me that says, well, they're just a little different or they're not as good as we are or you know, or, or you're not as good as they are or whatever it is. And I feel like that's really important for us to think about as we're just even praying for God to help us not let there be dividing walls. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? Because I think we put, there are strongholds there and we can put those blockades without even realizing that that's been part of what's been just kind of ingrained in us and that God wants to separate those, break down those walls and separate our thoughts that are human thoughts from God's thoughts and allow us to think about one another as he does. So I just felt like that was really All right. part of what he wants to do. All right, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray that for us. After I pray, you will be dismissed. But uh, the altar is going to be open for a couple things. If you, if you need just prayer for physical healing, things like that, please come up and get some prayer because God still heals today. He's awesome. Uh, but the other thing that I want to open the altar for is if, if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, like I feel wounded because I've been devalued because of how I look, my gender, the, the 
whether I have money in my pocket or not. If you've ever felt really wounded by that, come up and get some prayer this morning because I, I know God wants to heal that. He wants to take that out because that's not his heart for you. And it's something that man did to wound you. So the, the altar will be open for both of those things this morning. Father, we come before you right now and we ask for help because you're the, the only place that gives help that actually helps. <laughs> God, we, we ask for help in seeing one another through your eyes. God, we ask for you to help us to communicate that same value that you see when you look at us to one another. God, we ask that you would erase in our thinking and our understanding the, the world's ways of valuing people. The, the things that the world does to divide us, the way it assigns value, the things that it does to separate us, to keep us divided, we ask that you would begin to tear that down, to erase those things out of our mind. And that when we see one another, we would truly see Christ. That we would see ourselves so clothed with Christ that, that we would have no choice but to say, man, I see so much value. I see so much worth in you. I love you so much because I see Jesus in you. God, show us areas where we haven't been aware that we've even let those mindsets creep into us. We ask that you would continue to work in our hearts to, to root out those things that don't need to be inside of us. Those, those attitudes and behaviors that actually repel people from you and keep people away from your body. Root those out of us, Lord God. That we could be ones that are so loving, so welcoming that people would feel your embrace the minute they, they begin to even talk with us. God, I bless your people this morning. I ask that even the, the people that we lifted up to you during worship this morning, the people that don't know you, that need to know you, remind us that we prayed for them this morning. The next time we see them, Lord, even fill our mouths. Let us tell them about your goodness and your mercy and the things that we've experienced in you. Lord, bless us as we leave this place. Let your goodness and your favor continue to be upon us. Let your mercy follow after us. Let the radiance of your face, the light that shines from you, be on us wherever we go. We give you glory this morning for who you are, all that you've done in our lives, and all that you continue to do, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you called us your friend this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.